So in business, it's about the details, how you're treating people, how well you're paying attention to running the details of your business are really important. And I think that can be applied to life across the board, that you don't have to take your kid to Disneyland to be an awesome dad. So across life, I would just say, don't forget about the details when you're so focused on a goal of a big picture, because those details are what get you there. Everybody wanna get the bag, but y'all really know what it's gonna take. Trying to figure out how to start now. Chills, gotta show you the way. Cause we're top finest and amortizing. And anything it takes to get real estate. We've been grinding all day, finding ways to get paid. Better hop on this wave, cause we're dropping blue gems. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems. Let's go. Let's go. Another episode of Blue Gems Podcast with Brindy Barton from Loma Homes. We are ecstatic to have you. What are you up to today? How did you get into real estate? And why did you choose short-term rentals? Thank you so much for having me. Um, that's a whole bunch of questions bundled at once. So what I'm up to today is working with Loma Homes, one of the founders, and we create vacation rentals that are all about creating an experience for our guests. Now, where I started was in traditional real estate. Well, I guess even before that, I was in corporate America. My husband, Kyle, and I were both in corporate America. We kind of wanted to get out of that rat race. So we started with long-term rentals. Those long-term rentals then turned into my full-time gig. Um, I, when we had children, I quit my corporate America job to run our real estate side. Then we started flipping houses. Then it got to the point where my husband was able to quit his full-time job and we both dived full into real estate. Then we met our biz now business partner, Jeff, and he approached us to just hire us to do an Airbnb for him. He's like, hey, I'm looking to do an investment and I want to do vacation rentals. I don't have any experience in real estate, but he's a data geek. And he's like, I ran the numbers and the most profitable investment for me is a vacation rental. So I want to do uh, that, but I need your help because you have the real estate expertise. We were flipping houses out of state. We worked in we worked in about seven different states, and he did research and found this area in California called Joshua Tree, which now is like all the rage. But a few years ago, is still more up and coming. And he said, "I want you to make me a vacation rental in Joshua Tree. I've never even heard of this place, but that's where the numbers are best." And he's like, can wow. you do that? And we're, we're like, where's Joshua Tree? But yes, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> so two weeks later, we drove out to Joshua Tree, started looking at different land and houses and meeting with agents and locals to get the vibe and like the lay of the market. Because we knew once you have real estate principles and some experience, you can apply it to any market. You just have to do your research and understand the numbers and buy right for that market. No two markets are exactly the same. Our very first vacation rental was actually Jeff hiring my husband and I to build one for him just as a one-off. But then it did so well, I think it made like double what he expected. So he came back to us as like, we should make a business out of this. So then we did another one in Joshua Tree while we got 25 acres and we're building some there. And then we kind of started expanding a business from there, went to Florida and started doing our themed ones. So they're right outside Disney World and the theme parks. And they all are extreme themed where we work with specialty contractors that can do like spaceship beds and dinosaurs and their sound effects and fog machines and kind of the theme park experience, but back at your house afterwards. Because we knew Orlando is a competitive market. And if you want to stand out in Orlando, you got to go big or go home. So we went big and bigger than anybody else had ever done. And kind of made a name for ourselves in that market. And 
the trajectory just kept going from there. So now we're in three different markets. We have Orlando still, then we have Panama City Beach, Destin areas like the Panhandle of Florida, which has our beach collection. And then we just opened the Poconos up in Pennsylvania, which is more of like our mountain nature collection. So that's where we're at now is we're still building vacation rentals. And then our goal is to continue to grow and build a brand that's known for providing great experiences, whether it's the mountains, the beach, the theme parks. But no matter where you go, it's a beautiful home, reliable, great guest service, and a really good experience for our guests. Sorry, just spitball all kinds of things now. (laughs) No, no. Amazing. Yeah, that's an awesome introduction for sure. And what a journey. And so has this been a course of just like a few years or when did Loma Homes really start? Uh, Loma Homes started about four years ago. Okay. And it was a slow process at first because we wanted to test the model. So we did like one house in Florida and had it running for like almost, we did that for almost a year before we got our second one. Because our the way that we do our strategy is high capital investment. And we wanted to make sure that it worked, especially since we we're kind of out of the box. So at first it was slow. And then once we proved the model, now we've scaled. So like last year we did 10 houses when in the first year we did one house or whatnot. Wow. So what's the portfolio looking like right now? What number of doors do you guys are at? So we all do, they're all single family and we have 16 right now, I believe. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Four years. That's incredible. Do you still have those Joshua Tree properties at the moment? We actually do not. We discovered that California is not a business-friendly state to be in, basically. It's a legal liability. Long story short, someone blatantly got hurt on the property and turned into a lawsuit. And they had signed liability waivers. They were blatantly misusing the property. They were partying. There's video footage. There's like testimonial footage. Like It's very obvious of uh, guest stupidity, but it still doesn't matter if you're in California. The laws lean towards the guests or the customers and tenants all the time. And it worked out because Airbnb has, well, we hope it worked out. It's like been a two-year endeavor, but um, Airbnb does have liability insurance and coverage for it. But it was a big eye-opening experience for us where like our whole business could be ruined by one guest doing something stupid that it's not worth the risk. So it was a bummer because California made good money and the like the returns were good, but is it worth risking your whole business for good returns if you have no control? We even asked the lawyer, like, what could we have done differently or whatnot? And then he said, there's nothing you can do. There's no way to protect yourself in California. So we sold everything there. <laughs> so you'll notice on our website or whatever, we don't currently have California properties. We use the 16 we have are excluding those. Those are how many we have live are in Florida. And the first Poconos one will go live this month. And did you sell the long-term rentals that you guys had back in the day? We did. And that was a little bit of a process. So my husband and I had built up to 75 long-term rentals. It was a mixture of single families and then apartments that we had partnered on. And those had partnerships and stuff. So like we had a 48 unit apartment. So that took a big chunk of our 75. And then we owned a minority share because someone else brought the funds. We did the operations on it and whatnot. Um, And then we had like eight unit, a four unit. So it was a mix of sizes. And it was across multiple states. And when Loma Homes started taking off and we proved the model and it was becoming more of a full-time gig just for vacation rentals, we saw the potential there. And we were just spread so thin that we made the decision to stop flipping houses and also to stop doing long-term and go all in to vacation rentals. And Jeff was working a full-time job. 
And he, at the same time, we kind of made like a group decision. This was going to be all of our full-time gigs. So he quit his full-time nine to five job. And all three of us are in the business full-time because our goal is to grow it really quickly and then essentially sell the whole portfolio. Um, and our business models that property management and stuff as well. So we can sell a portfolio of assets, plus we can sell the property management company as well. So that's kind of the route we went. We'll go back to long-term rentals probably someday. Like it'll still be Kyle and my retirement plan because it's much more passive. I mean, I should never say real estate's passive, but it is easier than vacation rentals, but uh, it doesn't have quite the same returns from our experience. Were you able to 1031 into some of those short-term rentals or did you have to basically start from scratch in terms of the uh, capital gains? Personally, Kyle and I did not 1031 any of them. We probably should have, <laughs> but we did spread them out over a couple of years. So we, they're sold, but we did not 1031. Jeff did 1031 because he, the original Joshua Tree one he owned, he 1031 the sell of that property into some of our vacation rentals now. And he's on the investor side as well. Because we work with investors. Currently, the business does not have any capital in our homes. All of our homes are funded by investor partners. Amazing. It's funny because one more similarity, I started in long-term rentals as well. And I've always considered kind of the pros and cons of reusing the equity into another short-term rental, right? So selling the long-term 1031 into a Disney Panama City Beach property and what the returns would look like if I did something like that. So... Pros and cons. And I think it it obviously depends on the market, depends on your strategy. If you do it right, the returns are better in vacation rentals, but it also takes more of your time. So do you have the time to dedicate or you hire a good property manager and hopefully they execute like you want. And JB and I both have the goal of eventually going into commercial long-term rentals, you know, in a different life. So pretty, uh, pretty funny how we're on the same path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we'll definitely like Kyle, I can't speak for Jeff. I don't know if he has, he doesn't come from the real estate background as much. So he's more of the data and tech side. I don't know what his long-term real estate goals are, but for Kyle and I will end up back in commercial as our, as our retirement plan. And then speaking of the passive component, how big is your team? Are you having people helping you out on the operation side to maybe, you know, take less of your time? For sure. That's actually been one of our growing pains is I am a little particular. I like things done how I like them done. I want the houses to be beautiful in every detail and whatnot. And so it's been hard for me to let go. So that's been one of my personal business growth challenges, but you have to grow a team in order to grow your company. So currently we have three W2 employees, and then we have three of us founders, and then we have maybe five part-time employee contractors that are like basically part of our team, but they, they help with guest communication. So we have 24 hour, like people who respond to Airbnb and answer phones, stuff like that. And we also have an accounting team that we start outsourcing. So I'm in charge of, I do our accounting and office management stuff. And then I also do construction and design management. So we've kind of outsourced a lot of the, the things we can. I've got a project manager that helps with me doing the construction and interior design stuff. We've had to Currently, we don't, but we have in the past had interior designers we work with. And then, of course, we do contractors for construction, but those aren't necessarily considered part of our company because they're just like, you know, one-off projects or whatever. Love it. So let's talk about some numbers. Obviously, you know, you're spending a lot of money up front. Like what type of cash on cash return are you expecting? Or is there a different metric that you're looking at? Yeah. So for ours, um, it does depend on the property and the market or whatnot. So what, how we group our properties with our investors, because once again, you got to remember, we we partner with investors and our structure is that 
we do all the work and get the properties up and running and manage the portfolio. They bring in all the funds. It's a 5% preferred return plus a 50-50 split. And it's a portfolio. So we have create them in what's called a PPM. So it's almost like a they're buying into multiple houses, which is good for them because they can diversify. They're not just all in one house, but they have ownership in that LLC and is very secure. So they come in with their 50% split and their 5% preferred return. We expect, I believe Jeff's our data guy and Kyle is our investor guy, but I think we're doing like eight to 10% ROI. But then our big number is the IRR because our goal is that we do value add big construction and we're buying these on residential rates. And then we're bundling them into portfolios and selling them as a cap rate or as a business. So in the end, we get a big cash flow at um, the sell of the properties when it's a portfolio. We pitch over like 20% IRR. Some of them will end up even closer to like a 50% IRR if things go well. So the cash on cash is not really our play. Like if we can get five to 10%, like the first year you're not making anything, like that's fine. But we want to sell the portfolio within five years and then return 20 to 50% IRR. And that is where the money maker is. And keep in mind that that is only with a 50% split. So if you're doing this with your own money, you double all that. Makes sense. Can you define IRR for the people just starting out? (laughs) Yeah. So an IRR is basically a return on your investment over time. So if you're making a sell and you might make a million dollars at the end or whatever, that's all relative to how long your money has been in. Because you made a million dollars in the end, you've been sitting there for 20 years. That's not that great. If you made a million dollars in the end, it's been there for two years. It's really good. So an IRR is just a calculation that spreads it out. It's kind of like an average ROI over the course of the amount of time you've been invested in. So that's where like the cash flows aren't necessarily like killer or better with our strategy up front. It's still fine. You're making money. But our big strategy is the end goal. And then when you spread that out over time, it's a great investment. So you do plan to sell then. You have an exit strategy on each deal. You're not going to be refinancing and holding holding on to it. Yes, yeah, so we do have an exit strategy, but we also refinance. So we do the Burr strategy so that way we can optimize our funds. And because every house so far that we have done has been bigger construction project, we're adding a lot of value. So we purchase with a typically a construction type loan that's 12 to 18 months. Once the renovation is done, we refinance it onto a long-term loan. So that way we can pull out more equity to either give it back to our investors as a good return or to buy more houses. And then within three to five years we would like to exit and sell these off in portfolios. So that way we can really get those returns back to our investors and to get us out of the rat race soon. (laughs) We don't want to, as much as we love our business and love vacation rentals and whatnot, we don't want to be selling our souls forever. Our goal, our end goal is to build a company essentially, and then be able to sell it off and be done within a few years. Love it. That makes sense. So with us being in Florida and Orlando specifically, Aiden and I, I think we have a lot of listeners that are interested in Disney World, right? So let's talk about some of your properties there and maybe how they're performing like on a gross annual revenue component, if you don't mind sharing, maybe like a couple of them. Yeah. So all the properties that we have are in one neighborhood called Champions Gate, which is not too far from Disney. I think it's like 15 minutes or so, if unless you get stuck in traffic, which you never know, that could be hours. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> so um, in Champions Gate. They're all eight and nine bedrooms. Because when we ran our data, what we saw is that the best return on your investment is a higher, larger property, right? Because there's a million one bedrooms, two bedrooms, like mom and pop renting out there. 
backyard, guest house, whatever. But the larger properties you go, the less competition and the higher nightly rate to the ratio of what your purchase price is. So um, in Orlando, they're all larger, meant more for groups. And we theme them out and put over a couple hundred thousand dollars into renovations to make them theme park-like. And then we make double or triple what everybody else does in the neighborhood because of the fact we put that investment in. So we're making between 120 and 280 a year in annual revenue on each of our houses. And in perspective, we purchased them before renovations for now the prices of houses have gone up a lot, but they were all purchased basically for less than a half a million. So you're buying in the 400s and you're making wow. one, like you're making double or triple what else does. But we also have to put cash into those to put the theming. And Orlando is a unique scenario for us. And the fact that like our other areas, they're more traditional construction where we can refinance out value. Appraisers don't really know how to give you like property value on a dragon that breathes fire or whatever. <laughs> so we do just get upfront regular mortgages for the most part on our Orlando properties. And then we just have more cash out of pocket. So you have more cash out of pocket, but when you go to sell it on the cap rate on the end, those revenues are what bring you money. So it'll pay off in the end, but it is a more unique strategy that you have to have a lot of cash to do. And you said 120 to 280 gross. How would it range so much between 120 and 280? Some of our properties have gone viral. So we have a property called Wizard's Way, which is a wizard themed house. And within a week of it being, or within the month, probably being released, we got 7 million hits. And then it got picked up by Travel and Leisure, Forbes, Insider, and a bunch of the, like, there's over 50 Let's publications. That all picked wow. it up. So that's the 281. Makes sense. <laughs> so it's just, yeah. So when they get picked up, we also have 112 Parsecs. Like I had some virality, not to that extent, but your marketing can make a big difference. And it all goes back to like, if you put more money in and you're more unique, you may take a bigger risk, but if you do it strategically, it'll pay off because there's a million other Airbnbs. What are you going to do to stand out? Yeah, I'm mainly asking because if you were to invest 200K to only gross 120, that's a huge difference between grossing 280, right? So I'm just kind of curious where you're going to see the highest ROI when you're investing that kind of money in theming. Yeah, and honestly... I don't think you can rely on that. We've found that it's an anomaly because of the fact it just the fan bases around that and the unique topic and feel of the house. Just we got lucky, honestly, that it warrants very good returns. <laughs> so I think reliably you're going to be in more of the 100s on a themed out house. And it depends on the size and what all you include. Ours will have private pools. And they have community, like there's a community center that has lazy rivers and volleyball and all the amenities. So we do like, there's so many aspects that you look at the data and figure out, okay, in order for our house to be performing, in fact, this is what Jeff's job is. Part of it is like, he basically gives us a list. So Jeff does our data analytics and he's kind of our local data geek in addition to doing property management. And then Kyle, my husband does investors and fundraising. And then he has a real estate license. He does all of our real estate things. So Jeff will say like, Hey, I've scraped the data on all these sites and Airbnb and whatever. We need a house that has at least eight bedrooms. It needs to have a pool, needs to have a hot tub, needs to have a community center, needs to be within 20 minutes of Disney. He gives us a criteria and then Kyle and I would go find the house and that meets that criteria. So everything we do is numbers-based. Even picking topics of like our homes, like dinosaurs, or like we have a dinosaur theme come. 
The reason why is because we do Google searches on like one of the most popular toys of the year or the most popular topics and movies and like children's interests, because we realized our, our brand in Orlando is family centered and it's the kids who are begging or we get a lot of birthdays, like people coming in for their kids, eighth birthday. It's amazing how many birthday parties or birthday celebrations that come in. So we just cater and find all the data around it and build it. So it's not that I love dinosaurs. I do a lot of research on dinosaurs and figure out how to design dinosaurs or whatnot, because that's where the numbers lie. And I think that's where part of our success has been is that like, it's not emotional. It's fun, but it's not necessarily an emotional buy. It's not like, oh, I've always dreamed of making dinosaur houses because I love dinosaurs. It's that the numbers are in dinosaurs. So I figure out how to make the coolest dinosaur house you can ever stay in. (laughs) Smart. Awesome. And and not to harp on this any longer, but the one that uh, you said brings in 120 gross, is that one also an eight or nine bedroom in Champions Gate fully decked out? It just, just didn't hit for whatever reason? Yeah. And also that one is our newest property. That one's only been up since a March of this year, I believe. So Orlando is unique right now in that there's a big dip in across the board, not just our properties. We've been across the market. Orlando is seeing a dip in revenue. And so I think it's a couple things. One, it's a new property, so it's not performing as well. And two, it's the whole market overall isn't performing as well. So it's not on track to do as well as the other ones currently, but I think it will. That one is a castle princess and knights theme. So it's got like fairy tales of Rapunzel and Sleeping Beauty, or actually not Sleeping Beauty, but I've got like Beauty and the Beast and Cinderella and a cool armory. Funny enough, it's my favorite house. Like I think it is the coolest house we've designed, but it doesn't have quite the same fan base to go off of. And it also, I think just was worse timing in the market, unfortunately. But I think it'll rebound and do as well as the others in the future. We are thrilled to announce Blue Gems Management. After building out 24 short-term rental properties of our own, we're now helping other investors buy their time back. With over 300 five-star reviews, we really understand the importance of guest experience. If you're interested in making short-term rentals passive, click the link in the show notes below and someone from our team will contact you soon. Now back to the show. Before we move on to the next topic, we talked revenue. Let's talk expenses, right? Because JB and I are of the belief that a property is pretty much going to have the same expense ratio regardless of nine bedrooms, five bedrooms. So are you guys seeing that holding true and that it's easier to manage these larger properties because it's the same amount of effort and time? Yeah, I would say yes, but that that's our assumption because the fact that we don't even deal with little ones because we don't think it's worth our time. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, our smallest house we have is a five bedroom. So everything is five to nine bedrooms currently. And it's two things. One is our our number one metric we look at when purchasing houses is the ratio of annual revenue versus the purchase price and upfront cost if you're doing renovation. And rarely does it make sense with a small property to do that, just those ratios don't work out because the, you can get proportionally a larger property for less price in purchasing and your revenue tends to tear up the larger the property you go. So one, the returns aren't there. And two, yeah, it's almost the same amount of work. I mean, if you have, you have guests staying, is every time you're going to have like, like, even if you're 100% occupancy, either way, you're dealing with the same number of guests. So why deal with all the headaches for a one bedroom that's bringing in 10 or 20 grand a year or whatever? versus a nine bedroom that'll bring in 180,000 a year. 
No brainer. Agree. I guess we can get into the two formal questions. Yeah, for sure. So we have a lot of people listening to the podcast just starting out. What would be your advice for someone just breaking into the Airbnb short-term rental game? My biggest piece of advice is start one step at a time and taking action. I think it can be very overwhelming of like, okay, I got to figure out like property managers, how to buy a house, how to design a house, which house is the right one to buy? How do I find a maintenance guy? Like there's so many questions out there that you can get in this like decision paralysis that you can't figure it out. And I just start one thing at a time. Even when Jeff approached us and said, hey, can you make us a vacation rental? We had never done vacation rentals before. We'd never even heard of Joshua Tree. We just said, yes. Like we understand real estate and markets or whatever. Like I can research it. I can figure it out. There are so many resources out there that you can spend forever researching it, or you can say yes and take the first step and dive in and figure it out along the way. You want to be strategic, obviously, but if you just take it one step at a time, it's a lot less overwhelming. Makes a lot of sense. And then where do you see the short-term rental market headed? A lot of uncertainty in the market right now. Yeah, I I think that it's going places. You'll see a difference in trend from COVID time. There's a big transition from hotels over to Airbnbs. And that may have been partially temporary because of people wanting space. But once you like stay in Airbnb and you have a kitchen, you kind of experience that. I think the bug is going to stick. So you'll see that it continues to grow. And I think it'll keep taking market share away from the hotel business and that people are going to stay more with vacation rentals. I also think that millennials and our age groups and people coming up are all about experiences, which is what we've made our whole business based around is that people don't want to just go stay in a hotel. They want to have an experience. So that's going to continue to grow. And I think if you can get kind of into that niche, whether you're building tree houses or whether you're just finding the right locations that people are going for those experiences, that you'll do really well in vacation rentals. It's amazing. So to piggyback on, on that, do you find that the guests that are staying at some of these elaborate houses and you're creating this experience, are they generally taking better care of the property? Have you seen that at all? Is there any metric around that? What we have noticed is that more expensive houses do usually take better care of the property. You still have your fair share of headaches because you'll sometimes get partiers who they're all grouping their money and and then they trash the place. But we noticed really vividly this issue during 2020 because we had to start dropping our prices just to fill the properties. And the moment we dropped our prices, the issues went through the roof. That it was like, it's not even worth it. I'd rather have half the occupancy and not have the headaches because if you're going too cheap and if you're always trying to undercut everybody else and be the cheapest one, the type of guests you're attracting are usually not the ones who take the best care of your property. So your goal shouldn't be 100% occupancy. I mean, it's great to have good occupancy, but your number one goal is the overall annual revenue and staying above the line of being the cheapest property there because it will get abused more if it's the cheapest. Makes a lot of sense. And if you could leave one last blue gem to the audience that's listening, it could be about real estate. It could be about short-term rentals. It could be about theming, design, or it could be about life in general. What would you want to share? I would say it's about the details. So, and this is something we're somewhat known for in our business, in our properties that people, we, we get reviews all the time. They'll stay in one of our themed houses. It's like, It's not that there's just a dragon, but the details and everything that was created around it made that experience. So in business, it's about the details, how 
how you're treating people, how well you're paying attention to running the details of your business are really important. And then in life above that too, the details in showing the, like your kids, how much you love them by the little things you say, like often we think of the grand gesture of like, I just got to go find a theme park contractor if I'm building a theme house. When really a lot of the stuff that make the house, the house are all the little details that we as a team behind the scenes do, not the person who's carving the dragon. And I think that can be applied to life across the board that you don't have to take your kid to Disneyland to be an awesome dad. It's, are you playing soccer in the backyard with them? Are you telling them you love them? So across life, I would just say, don't forget about the details when you're so focused on a goal of a big picture, because those details are what get you there. Love that. Beautiful answer. Love that. Yeah, that was incredible. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find us and book our homes at loma-homes.com. And then our Instagram, we post a lot of behind the scenes and our properties that are getting up and going. And that's at Loma Homes. Those are the two best places. If you want to email me directly with any questions, my email is brindy, B-R-Y-N-D-E-E at loma-homes.com. Amazing. Brindy, thank thank you you so so much. much. Really appreciate it. Excellent, excellent episode. No problem. Thanks for having me. This is great. If you're interested in scaling your short-term rental portfolio and networking with like-minded individuals, we host a short-term rental meetup once a month in downtown Orlando. Click our link below in the show notes to register. See you at the next one. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems. <laughs>